Welcome to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. While there's no question we want to be safe and healthy during a pandemic that has lately produced record numbers of cases and tragic death toll here in British Columbia, there's also a concern among those who live here that an economic recovery plan really isn't evident, isn't forthcoming. This is worrisome, of course, not just to the general public, but much less the business leaders of this province. So what are they looking for? A new survey for the Business Council of British Columbia identifies some prescriptions. Greg Davignot, the CEO and President of the Council, joins me now to discuss the findings that are out today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Kirk. Uh, you know, characterize the mood. What's the mood there? Well, clearly, as you said in, in the outset, we're in the second wave of the pandemic and uh, transmission continues to escalate. And unfortunately, people are passing away passing away as a result. So our focus has been on the health and safety of people and of the healthcare system. But as we live with COVID and the prospect of a vaccine comes along, uh, we forget that the economic health of household, households and businesses has been equally victimized by this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we went out just after the election to 800 British Columbians with Ipsos Street. And uh, we asked the question, what are you thinking about? What are you concerned about? Where are you optimistic? And specifically around both their personal financial circumstances, the provincial economy and business in general, in what has been the largest economic downturn in a hundred years. And uh, it was very interesting. There's a lot of worry and concern and that is growing among British Columbians around the absence of a plan, but also the impacts of the massive debt that governments are incurring on both the program that they've come to rely on, but also the jobs and the investment necessary to create a thriving economy for themselves and future generations. Are people saying they're not being looked after, Greg? Is that is that it? Well, I think we're at a pivot point where British Columbia was the second largest recipient of CERB money through to September. We had over $9 billion of federal money come in. Uh, and if you want to put that in some context, the first nine months of the year, the Canadian government spent more than any other OECD country as a percentage of GDP by a country mile. And we got middling results as a result as a result of that investment. And now that that's come off, and now that the uh, CWS has started to reduce itself, people are worried, and particularly young people are worried. We found eight in 10 British Columbians feel the government needs to do more to support businesses in their efforts to invest and create jobs. And 70% of those people under the age of 35 are worried about their own personal financial position. Mm -hmm. And a further 60% are worried about losing their job or losing income in their household. And so while the BC economy has been more resilient in part because of that influx of federal money, we're still 100,000 full-time jobs lower than we were when we started the pandemic. And we're seeing from Christia Freeland yesterday that we're gonna have over a half a trillion dollars of new debt in the next two and a half years that multiple generations are gonna be paying back. And they're worried about the taxes and they're worried about government's ability to support programming as a result. Yeah, that's a a good point to jump off on though. How many of these concerns or how much of the concern is a short-term concern, immediate, you know, my job security, my family's family's finances, those kinds of things. And how much is about the distant future where the debt has to be, be repaid? Well, I think the election in British Columbia was really a good inflection point where 
uh, going into the election campaign, John Horgan and the NDP had the highest approval rating and the confidence of British Columbians in every sector, every demographic, every region of the pardon me of the province, and that resulted in a historic majority government for the NDP. And they were really voting for a party that they had felt had done a good job of managing the pandemic and keeping themselves safe. We're now into a period of time where people can see what the future looks like. They're fatigued and frustrated and want to get on with their lives. You're seeing particularly small businesses, as you know, a half a million uh, small businesses in British Columbia, 80, pardon me, 98% of them have fewer than 50 employees. And they're worried about the future solvency of their business, uh, particularly on consumer facing industries. And that's a predominantly a Vancouver related issue. We've seen massive job loss and risk to companies here in the lower mainland compared to the rest of the province. In fact, in rural BC, jobs are up and economic activity is up. So we're at that inflection point that people are, it's starting to hit home. This is having a material health impact to the personal finances and businesses that everyone knows in their neighborhood and that they rely on. And the consequence of that is that they also are smart enough to know that if you don't have a resilient private sector, which is largely, this has been a private sector led recession, governments don't have the money and resources to be able to afford the 50 different campaign promises the NDP made on programs that are going to cost money down the road, let alone the money to pay off the debt. So you got about eight and 10, eight and a half in 10 British Columbians worried about debt and the implications for higher taxes. Mm -hmm. You've got seven in 10 British Columbians believing the government can't deliver effective programs unless there's a thriving business economy. So people are making those linkages and that's where a strong plan that's purposeful to get people back to work with a job rich recovery is going to be important. Yeah, we see right here in the city of Vancouver, of course, that the municipal government is still looking at raising taxes in 2021. Is it, is it how much of a fear is this in the province that governments are going to start taxing quite soon in order to start uh, financing not just their programming, but in cleaning up some of their their deficit and debt issues? Well, I, I don't think there's any question the governments are looking to that. It would be our view, it, it's a knee-jerk solution to a complicated problem. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to step back. So Canada is an open trading economy that had competitiveness issues in some sectors going into this. Mm -hmm. We've got great strengths in innovation and in talent in access to markets, but we've been a complicated place to do business over the course of time and a frustrating place that has a lot of friction. And that was before the pandemic happened. I'll give you one data point that's really interesting. So in 2019, British Columbia was among the uh, jurisdictions in Canada that led in economic growth, 2.7% growth. We just did some work last week that uh, over 2% of that 2.7% growth came as a result of large private sector capital projects, LNG Canada's uh, TMX, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, Site C and others uh, with some office towers downtown. Those are all driven because of economic activity and risk taken by the private sector. If you pulled those out, our economic growth would have been about 0.5 to 0.7%. Yeah. And the Canadian average was 1.9%. So we would have effectively had a stalled economy. And that just isn't viable uh, going forward. So to step back, um, everyone in the world is spending money as a government to support their citizens and keep people healthy. 
but they're also focused on how do they attract the talent and capital to get their economies moving, whether it's Australia, whether it's Japan. China's back up and running. We had the Amer uh, Canadian ambassador on last week. 90% load factors in Chinese uh, domestic air travel. And they want the kind of capital that British Columbia has taken uh, for granted over the course of time. So we're going to have to be purposeful. We're going to have to send clear signals that we're open for business and be smart about it. There, we've got low carbon exports. We have innovation in agri-tech and life sciences. Some of the companies that are involved in global pandemic uh, vaccines are right here in British Columbia, but they're going to leave if we're not looking at ways to build and scale those businesses. Yeah, uh, of course, the Horgan government has been is installed now. It's looking to get back, of course, in the legislature. Cabinet has been appointed. Um, were you surprised that a, a relative junior minister was really put in charge of economic recovery? Uh, not really. We know uh, Minister uh, Callum from, from uh, some of the work he did in the forest sector. Uh, he's very enthusiastic. He had some comments out yesterday that are, are very encouraging around the fact that government doesn't have all the ideas. He personally reached out to me on the weekend to look for opportunities. As you know, we brought together over 80 CEOs and academic leaders and indigenous leaders to build out our Stronger Tomorrow Starting Today plan. Mm -hmm. And he's quite intrigued by some of the things that we put on play to get a job-rich recovery and become a top-tier host for capital. Uh, so we're looking for ways to collaborate with the government as the business community. Uh, there's balance sheets that are solid that want to be activated and invest capital. But we need the signals to be able to make sure that that can be done here uh, so that there's an opportunity for return, but also an opportunity for the asset and talent base that we've got in British Columbia. So how much of, a, of an opening or an opportunity do you think this is with the Horrigan government uh, to perhaps uh, take some of the sharper edges off um, maybe it's 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 ideological purpose uh, into one that has much more of a pragmatic area that will be a little bit more responsive and collaborative with business in the time ahead well uh, i'm an optimist by nature but uh, crisis usually breeds pragmatism and speed and we saw that frankly kurt in the first several months of the pandemic um, uh, the Business Council was daily working with the Premier's office and the provincial government at speed with common purpose to address the issues that were right in the windscreen, whether it was setting up a digital platform for PPE to keep uh, healthcare workers safe, whether it was working on labor policies, essential service industries, which were included or not, how do we keep people safe in the workplace? So very collaborative. Um, but make no mistake, uh, while we've had some resilience and the economy has performed better than most expected, uh, we're still in a massive economic hole, and we've still got some of the barnacles from, an, uh, you know, I would say a cumbersome and not as competitive economy as we would like. But we've got this myriad of opportunities, as I've outlined earlier. And so that pragmatism has to take hold. The BC government's going to have a 15 to $20 billion deficit this year. And unlike the federal government, it hasn't become, uh, come as a result of a large as a massive amounts of spending to support businesses mm -hmm. and individuals. It's largely come because revenues have completely collapsed in many sectors. And so in that context, we have to build back a private sector led uh, recovery and use the balance sheets outside of government to be able to do that so that we've got uh, generations down the road that have opportunity, but also they're not indentured because of high levels of debt. One of the uh, early signals from both federal and provincial governments was that somehow this was also going to be an opportunity to almost reinvent our economy. 
uh, almost you know, do some kind of large scale transformation into say more of a clean economy or a green economy, those kinds of things. Have you been somewhat relieved that the signals lately from both Ottawa and Victoria are that this is not necessarily the first purpose at hand here in the time ahead? Well, again, back to your comment about pragmatism, you know, the federal government's looking at a catastrophic debt burden that they're going to carry and how do they go to debt markets to finance that. So I think that pragmatism bears out. There's no question there's opportunity in a clean economy. What people forget is that in the case of British Columbia, we started a clean economy in the 1950s where you know 97% of, of our uh, electricity is, is hydroelectric and renewable. So if the rest of the world got to where BC was 30 years ago, we'd all be better off from a climate perspective. But where there's an opportunity here in clean technology is, um, you know, to use some jargon, reduce the carbon abatement costs uh, and the and the marginal cost of that in BC, where it might cost you know two or three hundred dollars a ton to get one ton of carbon out of the atmosphere in BC. It might only cost ten or twenty dollars in another jurisdiction because they're switching from coal to renewable electricity. Where we've got opportunity. Uh, I think is to be really purposeful. As I said, uh, we have a life sciences cluster here, particularly in biotherapeutics, uh, med tech, and in uh, uh, clinical trials that we could actually be a North American leader and create some resiliency for the next pandemic that will come along. We've got some massive opportunities in agri-food and agri-tech. There's a regenerative agriculture uh, center that just been announced with Microsoft and Terramera uh, that will be really exciting, but that's a Western Canadian opportunity as well. And then also carbon sequestration and carbon offsets. So uh, you saw Shell announced with some work we helped with uh, the Silcotine First Nation just recently, where Shell is offering at the pump the ability to buy carbon offset credits. Well, as everyone in BC and Canada and around the world commits to net zero 50 uh, emissions, uh, we're going to need carbon credits and carbon offsets that are viable and highly credible. Canada is uniquely positioned to be the generator of those, both technology and using nature-based solutions, the validator using technology of blockchain, and also a transactor so that the uh, financial transaction around buying and selling carbon credits could be done in Canada. So not that we're going to own it, but we could play an outsized opportunity to reduce our own net emissions and the global net emissions as well. Now, um, we're, uh, we're still in a little bit of a puzzle about uh, when we're going to get vaccines, uh, who's going to get them first, and we're waiting for a plan like that. What's apparent, though, Greg, is that it appears as if our neighbors to the south will likely get their shots faster um, and all of that. Um, what do you think this is going to mean uh, around the lag that we'll have in terms of the regeneration of our economy? compared to say, our neighbors to the south? Well, I don't think this should be any surprise. First of all, I know we got briefed in April and May that there were at that point, 64 different countries around the world working on a vaccine or biotherapeutics. And all of them had said our, our domestic population is gonna get served before we export it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Canadian government has secured through Moderna as one example, uh, I think 20 million vaccine shots. But I think what you're going to find is I talked about the fatigue and frustration people have. They're just tired of this. And so people are taking risks and, and putting others at risk. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a rollout in stages. So we would expect 
uh, at the Business Council that it likely will be September, October, November before the vast majority of Canadians uh, have received a vaccine if they would like one. Uh, I think you're going to see frontline healthcare workers, those that are most vulnerable either because they're immune compromised or, or older, uh, likely people in teaching profession that are engaging with uh, broad sections of the public. And so, you know, uh, I suspect there'll be news stories of people jumping the queue. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for a politician to get a vaccine before someone else does or, okay. yeah. or someone else. So there'll be all that drama and frustration and inequity that comes along with it. And so I think you just have to prepare yourself for that. But there's no reason why, back to the original uh, question, we can't be planning and creating the signals and building out the case mm -hmm. to create economic investment back in British Columbia to get on our front foot while that's happening. And as the economy starts to open up and people have more confidence and security to get out into whatever the new normal is gonna look like, that the economy is there with them and ready to go. Uh, and because if we don't and we wait, the rest of the world's gonna bypass us to your point. The United States is gonna capture new IP, new technology, new firms, new uh, the talent that should be here, they will ultimately go to the US and ultimately will be the poorer for it both economically and from a public health perspective. Last area that I want to explore with you, um, and it, I think it comes from your survey, but it also I think is something that I'm hearing a lot from politicians everywhere from Joe Biden on downward, which is that we're going to be facing a difficult winter. And the difficult winter, of course, is not just a, a sheer financial uh, economic problem, but uh, but a mental health problem. And I want to get from you a bit of a sense of what you think business feels it needs in the way of support in in this critical area around keeping the confidence the morale the you know the the uh, the energy inside their own operations during this difficult time when typically you know we we look to escape you know the the winter we look to do a little bit of traveling we look to spend a lot of time with large families and friends and things and this will be lost to us in 2020 and early 2021 what do you think are the mental health challenges here for uh, for the industries well it's pervasive and it has been i think through the pandemic and i think it's going to get worse before it gets better you've got a younger millennial generation that now um, in british columbia represents about 24 percent of the population and that was a generation that had high anxiety to start with. They were worried about the impacts of climate change. They were worried about job prospects in a rapidly changing economy. Uh, I've got kids in that, you know, in their late teens, early twenties, and, and the pressures and complexity of life is much different than when I was that age. And so I think the resilience of, of those young people in the future that they hold is going to have to be supported. Uh, there's been some good work done in BC through things like the Foundry, which is a mental health uh, and, and I would say general health facility, both virtual and in person for 15 to 24 year olds. But we're going to have to do more and think about it holistically. Um, as people are working from home, uh, we're social creatures. How do you reach out as a business leader and stay in touch with your team and stay in touch with the people that work with you? Um, you know, they've got a life outside of work and they've been highly productive, but they're fatigued. And I think companies are gonna to have to rethink how they support mental health and how they support inclusion, whether it's using new technologies or um, bringing people in in safe ways so that they actually have some of that collegiality. 
And third is, uh, I don't think this is a government problem. This is a whole society issue. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that doesn't get talked about is not-for-profits have been massive deliverers of the social safety net in the marketplace. And most of them, because of philanthropic activity declining, are going to be at risk of not being around. And so it's going to put more pressure on those philanthropic organizations that remain. So not-for-profits, business, uh, academia and government are going to have to come together to, to work collaboratively, to support people, to support communities. And we're seeing it on our streets, not just in downtown Vancouver, but in Kelowna and Kamloops and Prince George, uh, the impacts of mental health, addictions, economic uh, dislocation. And it's a big societal cohesion issue that we're going to have to tackle and get on with it. We can't just hope it goes away and we've been doing it for 30 years and I think that's a whole society responsibility. Uh, it's caught up in in some of the diversity and inclusion conversations we've been having around not just racism but but inclusion generally and you know frankly there's more we're all going to have to do. It's a turning point like it was with Teddy Roosevelt in the early 1900s. Society and business and capital markets are all changing and we've all got a role to play in it. Yeah, well, we're all going to have to be leaders in all of this, even no matter where we are. Greg, always good to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today to talk about the latest survey that you've got, uh, which is available, of course, at your website for the council. Thanks so much for having me today, Kurt. It's always a pleasure. Greg Davignon is the CEO and President of the British Columbia Business Council, Business Council of British Columbia. I'm Kurt LaPointe. Thanks a lot for watching us, and we'll see you again on BIV today.